Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Um, so we're currently in a series called Thinking Christianly. We're, we're allowing uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, we're moving through it passage by passage and kind of asking this question, what does it mean for us to think like Christians? That a lot of times we're told what to think, but we're not necessarily crafted or formed to think like Christ. And the more that we learn how to think, the better able we will be uh, to remain faithful to God in our modern era, to be able to engage in contemporary discussions and, and really be faithful to who God's calling us to be as little Christs. You know, we find that elsewhere in the scriptures that the term Christian was even kind of used uh, to mock um, the early followers of the Jesus way. And um, the early Christians said, okay, we'll take it. Yeah, we are little Christs. That's, that's an exactly what we're trying to be. So today, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, um, verses 12 to 21. But I'm really just going to focus on teaching 12 to 16 because it's so dense. Um, and then we're going to throw something out on the, uh, on the internet, on social media this week that kind of takes you through the rest of the passage. And I highly encourage all of you uh, to, to jump into that. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to pray for me, and we'll get right into this and see what the Lord has in store. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this time. Where else do we get this? Where else do we get to come together with the people of God to worship, to give, to receive, to encounter you in all of these different ways, all all these words and these acts and through people? from the deepest part of ourselves to to seeing you kind of on the world stage. Lord, I just continually think of that, that, that idea that it's about us waking up to the reality of you being in all places. But one of the special ways you do that is here in church, in the gathering of your people, that this becomes sacred space, not because it's different than any other space, but because we come here with intention that we want to see you, we want to hear you, we want to meet you, and, in, and in, because we've met you, we're going to be transformed. And that's why we're here, Lord. And I pray that you would honor each one of us in our desire to know you today. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, today's going to be about everybody's favorite subject, maturity. Um, and this is kind of my thesis for today, and I want you to be thinking about this as, as I'm reading the passage, that God leads us into deeper maturity in our thinking as we remain faithful to Him. So God is going to lead you into mature thinking. And, you know, a lot of what's going on in our contemporary culture is a, a radical shift within the church and because of uh, the many voices that we're hearing in the society around us. And, and different people are in different parts of this journey, and there's a lot of different language for it. Many uh, people would be familiar with the most comfortable language today is perhaps the, the language of deconstruction. People talk about deconstructing their faith, taking these ideas of the assumed uh, beliefs of the Christian household and really beginning to examine them. And, of course, there are healthy ways to do 
do that, that are important, that are, that are natural for us as we grow in our faith. And of course, there's some ways that can, we can go about doing that can actually be quite damaging to ourselves and potentially to other people. And, and of course, because of, uh, of my, my role in our community and um, just the way that I'm wired, I, I want to get in underneath that. Like, what is going on there? Like, how do we frame a journey of deconstruction or restoration or growth in our faith? Because if we're all honest, faith is not something that's static, right? You don't pray the sinner's prayer, get baptized, and then just kind of like cross your fingers for the next 80 years and hope you make it out alive. And unfortunately, when we believe that faith is kind of a certainty machine, you just got to hold on tight and just, just grip it and rip it, and we're going to get to heaven and everything's going to be okay then, we find that oftentimes we're shutting ourselves down and to the very real uh, potential of our own lives, the very real questions and doubts in, in those of the people that we love and that we're in relationship with. And I think this is why it's so important that we learn how to think like Christians. Because if we learn how to think, then it gives us this trajectory for how we're to engage with the reality of our own lives, the things that are going on in our stories, in the people around us, um, in modern conversation, and least, not least of which on social media. So I think, unfortunately, what happens is that many believers abandon the journey of faith because the ways in which they've taught to think no longer serve them, okay? We've talked about this a couple times in this series, that I think when we reduce the gospel to being uh, utilitarian, when we say, well, the gospel, it, I believe in it because it works, or I believe in it because it's helpful. That works for a little while, but then all of a sudden something happens in your life and it doesn't seem to work in terms of giving you the right answers or making you feel good or, or even making you feel confident in being part of the group. And that's when a lot of times I think people start to exit the faith is because it doesn't work anymore because the gospel has been reduced to only its utility in our lives. We talked about this last week that when we believe in this kind of self-righteous, me-centered gospel, it's about what it does for me. And as soon as it stops doing things for me, that's when I'm going to choose out. But I think there are better and more faithful ways of thinking like Christians, and my real challenge for all of us today is not just to examine our own journey of faith, but to recognize that what we need to grieve, especially in our generation, I'm talking specifically for millennials and younger, we need to grieve the fact that we haven't had a lot of really good faith guides that can walk the journey with us, that can encounter our questions and our probing, and to help us along that journey rather than just shutting us down or demanding something of us. But in turn, that all of us need to become our guides. That we're all the challenge that God has for all of us is that we become guides for one another along the journey, that we help one another journey well and journey deeper into faith. And so, um, if you recall from last week, we looked at uh, Philippians 3, 1 through 12, and we talked about Paul's great exchange. He kind of gives his own autobiography. He says, you know, here's where I was, and this is the kind of person I was. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and I had the right education, and I had the right ethnicity and nationality, and, and I was doing all the things correctly, but then I encountered Christ, and all of that I considered trash. I consider it garbage for the sake of knowing him. And we talked about, you know, how sometimes even the good things in our lives, we can hold on to them so tightly as our identity that it actually prevents us from the one thing that matters above all, which is knowing Jesus and in turn becoming like him. 
And so Paul's continuing on that conversation of speaking out of his personal journey, his deconstruction, perhaps you could say, of his understanding of the world before he knew Jesus, comparing it to what he knew after and how his values had shifted. And we're going to jump in in Philippians 3 uh, in verse 12. So you remember at the very end of verse 11, he's saying, I want to know Christ. I want to become like him, participating in his suffering. And so somehow achieving uh, that same resurrection that Christ uh, went through. And so this is where he continues on. I think this is fascinating. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And that's the part we're going to be focusing on today. And I encourage you, bring that out on your phone. Hold that, those verses uh, just in front of you because we're going to be going through that piece by piece. But I want to finish out his thought uh, in this passage just because I think the public reading of Scripture um, holds in it such power. So he goes on. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. So we're going to be focusing on kind of those first passages. What is Paul talking about when he talks about maturity? Mature thinking frames how we hold our past loosely, how we trust in our future destination, and how we commit to the present moment in our journey. So I'm going to be talking us through that. What is maturity and how does it speak specifically to our past, to our future, and to our present? What I want to do is just kind of take some of those chunks in that first uh, paragraph because they're so dense from Paul and really examine what is he trying to tell us. And so the first thing, and I I love this little line in the very very first uh, piece of this passage, in the very first verse. It was something that initially I kind of bounced over and then I came back and I said, hold on, what is that? Because I think this is fascinating. It's, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. To take hold of that of which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What is that? What does that mean? I spoke about this last week and I was speaking about my own story of being asked by someone, well, why do you believe? Why do you believe in this stuff? And really thinking through some of those kind of smaller ideas. I believe in it because it makes me feel good. I believe in it because it makes me a member of a team. I believe in it because it makes sense of my life or makes sense of the world. And those things being fine in of themselves, but that it has to be something bigger. And the language that I had come to was, I don't believe in Christianity because I choose it. I believe in Christianity because I've been given over to it. 
that in our postmodern world, you get to choose your own reality, right? Like the, the world works like the internet. If you see something you don't like, you just close out the tab, right? And that's how we think real life works. We can just choose, pick and choose what we, we allow to be part of our reality because it's useful to us, because it, it builds up our ego, because it makes us feel good or it makes us, reminds us we're on a team or it makes sense of things. And we don't like it when we encounter things that go against any of those messages. But recognizing in my own story, it wasn't just about me choosing something as if I can just choose out, but believing that I have been given over to something. There's something larger at work. And I love that that's, I think, what Paul is really saying here when he's talking about his own story. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's saying, Jesus made the first move. Jesus took hold of me. I was given over to something. I submitted to something larger than myself, and Christ made the first move. And within that call, that rescue, that first move of God to bring me back into his embrace, to give me a new identity, to give me a new purpose, then within that, there's something for me to take hold of. You realize it's not about your choosing or not choosing. It's about falling into what God has chosen for you. When you make all of the world about just what you choose and what you don't choose, what are you making those bases on? Upon your feelings? Upon what works in the moment? Because you'll go crazy always trying to decide what you think is real and what you think is not real. And I think that's the tragedy of the postmodern era. But when we believe that there is a story there is a story to which we have been given over. And within that is an invitation for us to take hold of something. It really makes us understand what our stories are really about. This is not something that we have manufactured. Your salvation is a gift that you have received. And it's always a gift. It's a gift when it doesn't always feel good. It's a gift when it doesn't always give you the right answers. It's a gift when you don't always feel safe. Christian life's not about being safe. The Christian life is about pursuing truth. And so how do we like, look at that then when we recognize that we have been given over to something larger than ourselves that goes beyond just our utility? How does that help us to frame what's going on here with past, with future, and with present? Because it's important to recognize when Paul talks about maturity, he's not talking about an arrival point. And often isn't that what we think when we think about maturity? Like, I've grown up, I'm now 35, so therefore I am mature. You know, it's like, here's this moment, and it's static. It's like, I got all the things arranged on the shelf, and now I'm mature. And it's fascinating because I love that Paul says in this, not that I've already obtained all this, which we think maturity means, oh, you've obtained something, you've grasped something, you have some knowledge, you have some experience or whatever it is. And Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not that I've obtained this or I've arrived, but it's an attitude by which I hold where I am in the present moment. So your maturity is not contingent upon you having arrived at a place in your life. It's not an achievement. It's an attitude by which you choose to be in this moment. And so maturity really begins to frame how we look at our past, how we look at our future, and at our present. So Paul says in this, forgetting what is behind. So we're going to talk about the past first. The mature Christian is not shackled by the past, but lets go of old ways to take up the new ways of Jesus. 
I've, I've, it, this, is, this is very interesting to me because I've heard people talk about this when we talk about like examining our past. And some people say, some Christians will say, oh, no, no, it's in the past. We don't have to go back to the past. We don't have to like acknowledge that. Like it's done and it's dusted and we just forget about it because Paul says here, forgetting what's behind. And they forget verses 1 through 11 where Paul literally just told us what's behind him. Okay, so when Paul says forgetting what is behind, that doesn't mean you avoid your past or you ignore it or anything. It means you've recontextualized where you've been because of who God is and what he's done in your life, okay? That's very important to recognize. Paul's not saying, like, you need to forget about your past. He's saying the way in which you hold it, you let go of the way that it has held you up until this point. It's very important that we know our stories, there's very useful language, I think, floating around in the conversations about deconstruction of include and transcend. That the journey of faith is that we include the places we've been, the ways in which God has ministered to us and has made, has made himself known to us. But we're also called to grow above and beyond those things. But we don't forget about those things in terms of chopping them off and they're no longer part of us. But they actually become part of the story that brings us where we are. So, you know, sometimes we talk about denomination um, in, in our church and in other churches and, and that kind of thing. And I, I find all of that fascinating. And, and one of the ways that I've come to understand my own story was I was born uh, in, as an Anglican. Anybody here Anglican or Episcopal in, the, in your background? There's like 1% of us in the world. You know, I had, diet Catholics is basically what we refer to it as. Um, that's the way I grew up. My, my dad is an Anglican pastor, and I grew up with liturgy, and I grew up with communion and all of these things. And, and I kind of reached a point in my story where a lot of that had been internalized to me, but I felt like I was stuck or that I was dry, and then I needed something else. And when I moved to Nashville after college and entered into a vineyard church, which is charismatic, any people from the vineyard here? I would have known you when you came right in the door because you've been running around like you were on fire. But the vineyard was a, was a charismatic movement and we would worship for an hour and, and there was this real like pursuit of the Holy Spirit and, and healing and all of these different things. And it was so alien and foreign and uncomfortable to me that I knew I had to be there. I knew that I needed that to be part of my story. But the beauty is that it's not like I left behind the way that I grew up or I disowned it. I included that as part of my process, but I, it was added on to me. You know, whenever there's twins talked about in the Old Testament, so Chrissy, you can tell your sister about this. Um, Chrissy's a twin. Did everybody know that? Very cool. Um, the literal Hebrew language for twins is, and it was added on to him. So Abel was added on to Cain, for example. And so for me, it's like I grew up Anglican, but charismatic world was added on to my journey of faith. I included, but I also transcended, and I become more than those things. And I think this is why this is so important to recognize including and transcending, because to either avoid or be resentful of your past is still to be held captive by it. When we forget what is behind in terms of avoiding engaging with our past, you do disservice to the story that God is writing in your life. Okay? If you will not look at the past because of what God has done in it, it's, not, it's basically to not allow the salvation of Jesus to meet these points in your story that bear healing. And so we don't avoid our past, but we also don't resent it. Some of us are so fixated on our past that it still dominates our conversation about who we are today. And all we can do is talk about our past and how much we hate the way that we grew up and, and our church just didn't get it and they were fundamentalist and this and that and the other thing. And we give so much power to our past that we're still stuck in it. 
And I think what Paul is saying here is forgetting what behind in the sense of like you see it and you acknowledge it, but it brought you to a certain point in your story that God has done something beautiful in you and now he's moving you into a new place. But it becomes part of your story of redemption. And it's, this is very important. It, God does not bless the events of your life if you've experienced trauma. But he does bless the outcome of those events. That the things that were intended for your death actually become part of your life. And I've shared many parts of my story where that's very true. But I think especially in terms of your journey of faith, if you resent anything that has happened before in the church, in your journey with Jesus, whatever it might be, if you resent it, you're still giving it a power to hold you back from moving forward in your own story. Uh, the modern uh, Catholic Franciscan Richard Rohr says all great spirituality is somehow about letting go. It's not avoiding, it's not ignoring, but it is about letting go of something, giving yourself over to where God is leading you. And so my challenge to all of you is to bless your past, your journey with God, because it got you to this point. But maybe you do have to graduate some of those old ways of thinking, but you graduate them in order to to become more faithful. You see, Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 13 at the very end of that chapter. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face, speaking of the future coming of Christ. Now, I know in part, then, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And I, and I love that because he's saying, you know, we have, there's a, there's a space for childhood. It's a good and necessary part of growing up. But at some point, you got to grow up. There's a difference between being childlike and being childish. One of those things we carry on through our lives, the other thing we need to leave behind. And it's the, the sooner that we learn the difference between childlikeness and childishness, the more we're able to grow into maturity. But Paul recognizes that. And so the challenge is to say with your past, with your journey with God, your experiences of him, your theology, your practice, are there things in it that are rather childish that are actually holding you back from falling deeper in love with God and pursuing Jesus with a greater faithfulness? And that brings us to the next part with future, straining toward what is ahead. The mature Christian has a future vision of where they're headed in King Jesus. I think this is imperative, as important as understanding our pasts, to understand our future. It is absolutely of the utmost importance that as Christians we maintain an understanding of our trajectory, that the whole thing is going somewhere, that there is a goal to which God is moving the whole plot. If we forget about where we're going, then we begin to think that we craft our own future, or we find ourselves hopeless or in despair because we don't really know where everything's going because we're only judging reality by how we are thinking and feeling in the moment. And it's so important that we have this future vision of where we're headed because of King Jesus, not a future that we're manufacturing or crafting, but begins, again, something that we are receiving from him by revelation. And I think what this requires is a very deep trust in God. A very deep trust that goes beyond your capacity to understand or to grasp something. This is what you find in the story of Israel when they're kind of wandering through the desert and they're talking about the promised land and they're going, like many of us would to God, they're saying, okay, God, 
promised land, I get it. Okay, where are we going? What's it going to look like? What can I expect? Like, what are the dimensions? What do I need to wear? You know, just to prepare. And he says, I'm with you. And Israel goes, okay, cool. But seriously, where are we going? What's it going to look like? Like, give me a plan. What is it going to He says, no, 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 I'm, I'm with you. You see, God is saying, until you understand that I'm with you, your promised land will never be the promised land because the promised land can only be defined by my goodness, not by your plans and your expectations of what it's going to look like. And so to have a future vision of where we're headed has more to do with our trust in God to lead us somewhere because he is good than it is about us getting to define what it looks like. We find this in the story of Abraham, that Abraham, as the father of the faith, is kind of given this promise from God. He's given the, the steadfast witness of God, and he doesn't know where it's going. And in fact, in Abraham's story over 40 years, it seems more and more ridiculous that God is going to do what he's going to do. But he sticks with it, and he says, even when I don't understand, I'm going to choose to hold tightly to that promise that wherever God leads me will be blessed and he will do this in his own time. And that's why he's called the father of the faith. Not because he didn't doubt, not because he didn't question, but because those things became the fuel for him to trust deeper in God, to shake off some of the old ways of thinking and assuming that God works in order to open himself up to newer, deeper, more powerful ways. So what does this trajectory look like? If your honest desire is to encounter the God perfectly revealed in Jesus, you can't go wrong. But it may take some time. And I wonder with many of us, if we're going through this deconstruction of our faith and what we believe and how we practice it, we need that trajectory. Okay, this is fine to ask questions, to have doubts and all of these things, but for the sake of what? Like, where are you trying to go with that? I love that there's, a, there's um, a pastor that I adore, his name's Brian Zahn, and he said, what if we start talking about his restoration? And, and many of you, you've, you know, you've maybe been to an art gallery and you've seen this where like a very old painting over years gets a lot of grime and guck stuck on it and you can't see the picture. And there's experts that come in and they're just so careful to clean and to scrape away all the stuff that over decades and centuries has obscured the image that was always there, but you couldn't appreciate its full beauty because of years of the stuff. And I think that that's a beautiful way for us to understand the journey. That for many of us, the image of God has all these years of grime and gunk just stuck over it. And what needs to happen is we're scraping it away to see the beautiful image of Jesus that was always there, but we couldn't always see it because of all that stuff. But it takes time. It takes a lot of time to work through our stuff to honestly examine the things that we believe and why we believe them. It takes time to grow up. Think about when you were a kid, how foolish you were to think, oh, I can't wait till I'm an adult, right? It's gonna be awesome. But you needed that time of childhood and being you know, a teenager and being a young adult to kind of grow into it. It takes some time, you can't just switch over you can't just expect to have all of it work out now, today, in this moment. And this is why as a community, we've committed that our very first value is intimacy with God. It's not about having useful structures for living better lives. This isn't a moral society in the sense that what we, come, we do is we come in here, we learn how we're supposed to behave, and then we go back into the world and just do it. 
But we have this very high call. No, we're going to pursue intimacy with God. We're going to pursue Him. And when we say God, we mean the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what we mean. And the, the community then is defined by our movement, our pursuit of the God revealed in Jesus. And it's, this, it's a movement. It's not about defining borders and boundaries now, but it's about all of us together committing and linking arms and saying, are you after Jesus? Okay, I'm after Jesus. Let's go. And everything that gets us closer to Jesus, we're going to hold on to. And everything that gets in the way of us knowing Jesus, we're going to let go of it. It's about reclaiming this trajectory in fancy theological terms. It's the eschatos, the goal that we're being called to, seeing the promises of God fulfilled one day. We find this similarly in uh, 1 John in chapter 3. The writers, uh, this is a community that John established in southern Turkey, and they're kind of writing out of John's experience of Jesus, this gospel is phenomenal, and you see so much of that kind of echoed in, uh, in the letters of John. And they say this, dear friends, okay, so think past, present, future. Now we are children of God, okay? So guess what? All of you right now, you're here, you're children of God. Well done. You made it. You did it, okay? Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Okay, think about that for a second. Right now, we're children of God. But what we're going to be, that hasn't been revealed to us yet. It's a mystery. It's something that we can't really grasp right now. It's something we can't fully understand. We're not ready for it. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So right now we're children of God. We don't exactly know what it's going to look like, but we do know we're going to look like Jesus. And so the more that we know Jesus and we scrape away all of the cultural understandings of Jesus or all the ways he's being misappropriated and all the ways he's being made small and people are taming Jesus to use them for their own personal or political you know, agendas or whatever it is, the more we see the authentic Jesus, the better a vision we get of where we're headed. When God finishes what he started on the cross, we know what that's going to look like. And we allow that vision to speak back into this moment. It's called hope. And we purify ourselves. We begin that process of opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit more and more, day by day, saying, I want to look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. And I think this is so key to understanding who you really are as a child of God and where you're headed to become more like Jesus. I think there's sometimes this idea today that my truest self is who I am when I don't have to work at it, right? My, I'll say it this way, my laziest self is my truest self. And life is so much hard and it's so much work and we're always working to be somebody, but if we just like come back to zero and who I am when I don't have to work at it, that's my truest self. I think that's misguiding. Now, don't hear me, all my sweet little performers and achievers. It's also not about working really, really hard to become somebody else. You are a child of God. But who you are when you're just sitting there doesn't necessarily reflect that. Your laziest self is not your truest self. Because that might be a very shallow version of who you really are. 
So it's recognizing you are a child of God, but God has a trajectory for your life. You are to become more like Christ in his second coming and to allow that hope of that certain future. You know, when we speak about hope, it's not like, gosh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. It means, no, I know this is going to happen. I don't know when, I don't exactly know what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to happen. I have hope in it. And I'm allowing that hope to frame how I choose to live today. And I think that brings us to the third and final piece about pressing on in the present. The mature Christian lives creatively in the present, allowing past and future to give context to the work of faithfulness today. We're called to live in this creative tension between understanding our past as a story of God's redemption, understanding our future as where we know that God is leading us, even though we don't exactly know what it looks like or how we're going to get there, and allowing both of those things to hold us in this creative tension in this moment. To say, who am I called to be right now? How is God calling me to live here? A couple weeks ago, Christy and I were actually talking about this, like this idea of maturity. If it's not about arrival and it's not even about mastery, what does that look like practically? And one of the things that we really recognized in both of our stories was it was the moments that we began to choose to not choose. Okay? The moments that we decided to choose to not choose. Because if we walk through life thinking every moment is a choice, do I want to do this or do I want to do that? Guess nine times out of ten, we're going to choose the thing that we feel in the moment and not necessarily the thing that's good for us. And so in practicality, I don't mean to shame anybody in this, but like a Sunday morning saying, I'm going to choose not to choose to do with my life on Sunday mornings. Of all of the other options that are out there, I don't care. In the same way, it's just like if you were like, I'm a Nissan man, and I'm never going to buy anything else but a Nissan, you know, and that's the trajectory of my life. When we believe that every moment we get to choose and somehow that's adulthood, that's maturity, we miss it because we're always being tossed back and forth by our desires, by temptations, by things that just seem more interesting. I've said it before, if you come to church for entertainment, go ahead and just stay home. There's way better things on TV than there is right here. But if you want truth, maybe you need on Sunday mornings to choose not to choose what to do with your life. That this, this point in your, in your week is, is carved out and this is it. And similarly, we're talking about what we're endeavoring to do in, you know, in our community group on Wednesdays and I hope others are, to say, yeah, there's lots of options with what I could do with my Wednesday nights. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I just wanna have fun. But I'm choosing not to choose for my Wednesday nights because I believe it's the long haul with this group of people, us being dedicated to one another and loving each other and working this thing out together, that that's where I'm going to find maturity. It's to be given over to something. I think it's brutal that Paul says in verse 19, their God is their stomach. Because what he's saying is, what are you choosing now? Just to satisfy yourself? Is that what you're doing? Say, well, this is, I, what do I feel like right now? This is, all, this is what I want right now. My truest self is just to be authentic to my own hunger in this moment right now. And we sell ourselves short in that. I've made a, a, a good friend who's a, a pastor in town recently, and I think he maybe become, became one of my best friends when he said this. We were talking about this phenomenon and what's happening in our generation. We're a little bit at the older end of the millennials, and we're talking about like kind of the, the spectrum within our own generation. And he said, you know that line uh, from Tolkien? And of course, that was the thing that just got me. You know, you want to just get on my good side? Just quote Lord of the Rings. 
And it says, not all who wander are lost, right? We've heard this. Not all who wander are lost. And he said, one of the things that I've realized in the work of being a pastor, of always holding the door open for the, the prodigal children to come home, to come back to God, to sit at his table with him again, is that not all who wander are lost, but they're often exhausted. Not all who wander are lost, but they are exhausted. Because if we don't own the reality of our past and allow God to bring healing, if we don't receive this vision of the future from Jesus to give us a sense of trajectory, we will wander and we'll get tired and we'll find ourselves in that foreign land having to eat with the pigs, wondering if maybe things were better when we were back in the house. But there's another contemporary of Tolkien. And I watched all of the Hobbit movies this week just preparing for this sermon. But the truth is that in every story, the hero's journey is like this. They come from somewhere. They're given a goal or a destination or whatever it might be. And along the journey, there's lots of moments of hope. Plenty of times that Bilbo wanted to turn back. Plenty of times that Frodo forgot who he was. But they pressed on towards the prize for which they had been called. And there's another story in a contemporary of Tolkien in C.S. Lewis's Narnia. In the very last, uh, in the last book, there seems like everything's fallen apart and everybody's died. And all of a sudden, the children, as these little kings and queens, they wake up and they're in a land that's even more beautiful than Narnia. And Narnia was a phenomenal place. And they begin to explore, what is this new world? And they're looking around and it just keeps going and going and going. And it's more beautiful than anything they recognize. And the unicorn among them, and if there's a unicorn among you, you must listen to him. The unicorn says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. Though I never knew it till now. Come, further up, further in. Further up, further in. If you're questioning your faith, if you're going through the deconstruction, May those words be a healing bomb to you because it's good. It's good to ask questions. It's good to wrestle with the things that we've assumed, but in the service of further up and further in, this is my home. This is the place to which I've been called to win the prize. Because for us, as followers of Jesus, finding Christ and being found in Him is our goal. And that's what heaven is like. That's what the promised land looks like. Knowing him face to face, no veil, and being fully known by him. You realize Jesus is his own reward. Knowing him is the reward. That's the prize. And there is nothing that will compare to that. So we're gonna turn to a time of prayer kind of praying over these three things that we're called to hold in our lives along the journey in our past and our future and our present. Because a lot of my job is to teach you how to pray, not just to talk at you. And we're going to be using liturgical prayer, which I, I love as a form of prayer where we kind of give ourselves over to it and we say things that we don't always understand, but it's giving, it's leading us somewhere, it's taking us somewhere. 
And so we're going to pray, and there's going to be a little bit of call and response, and there's going to be moments for you to take some time with the Lord to work through your past, your future, and your present, and then we're going to come to the table together in celebration of the trajectory to which we've been called. So I invite you to stand with me. And let's pray. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right to glorify you, Father, and to give you thanks. For you alone are God, living and true, dwelling in light and accessible from before time and forever. You and you alone are Lord of the past, future, and present. All things are summed up in you, and in you all fullness dwells. So we begin by praying for our past. God of the past, you reach back into our stories to set us free from sin and death, from old ways of thinking and acting, so we might take hold of he who has taken hold of us. May we learn to bless our past experiences as part of the journey that has brought us up to this moment. So I want you to take a moment, just consider your past. Are you avoiding parts of your story? Are you resentful of any part of your story? I want you just to take that moment, that memory, whatever that might be, and just in your mind's eye, lay that at the feet of Jesus and ask him for redemption. future, your call, you call us heavenward to the goal set before us, to know you fully and to be fully known. We may not know where we're going in this moment. We may not have clear sight of the path ahead. Yet may we trust that wherever you lead us is good because you are good and all God's people said. So just consider your future. Where are the moments in your story where perhaps you feel anxious or you feel in despair. Just when you can articulate that to God, ask the Lord to give you a vision for who you are to become in Christ. to be with us and for us always. Grant us your Holy Spirit to guide us in creative faithfulness today, to remain committed to the journey upon which you have called us. And all God's people said. So take a moment and consider where you are in the present moment. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you overwhelmed? Those are the moments for you to ask the Spirit of Jesus to strengthen you in your daily needs. What do you need today to stay faithful to the journey that you're on? Take that moment and dialogue with the Spirit.
God of the past, future, and present. Guide us deeper into your truth day by day. Teach us to live as citizens of heaven now in anticipation of your full coming, when all things shall be reconciled to you in Christ. And now we pivot to the table where we bring our past, our future, our present. We come, all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our revelations, all of our joys, all of our sufferings, we bring the entire human experience with us to the table and we lay it down. We lay it down to take up whatever it is that Jesus might have in store for us here. But we remember what happened at this table and how it speaks to us today. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith and we say this together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And now, Father, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Let's take hands. Let's actually do this holding hands. And I went with the, went with the King James Version. We need some these and thous, right? Give us some context for our stories. So together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So fellow sojourners, I invite you to the Lord's table. Bring with you everything you are to see what Jesus has in store for you. We have three stations, one for all of you in the center and two for you on either side. And we'll start in the front row and we'll move our way back. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.